0: things are more danger to an organization than discouragement. When sale numbers plummet, employees start looking for new jobs. When a team stops winning, players want to be traded. Discouragement is debilitating, destructive, and contagious. Left unchecked, it can destroy any organization, even a church. If you would like to know what your church can do to defeat discouragement, you will want to listen to Nathan Norman, Kent Edwards, and Vicki Hitzkis as they learn from the Gospel of Mark at how Jesus dealt with the discouragement his disciples experienced. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkis, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Gospel of Mark. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 41, as we join their discussion. Have you ever heard of the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible,
1: No Good, Very Bad Day?
2: I have, and I I haven't read it, but it sounds like a book I would love.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've heard of the title. I haven't read it, but I'm certain that I've lived it.
2: Yes, yeah. (laughs) Why do you ask? Tell us about it. Well, it's just a
3: kid's book that has been wildly popular for a few decades. It just tells, obviously, about his bad day. Let me read you just an excerpt from it. Okay. Alexander could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible No good, very bad day. Mm -hmm. He went to sleep with gum in his mouth and woke up with gum in his hair. When he got out of bed, he tripped over his skateboard and by mistake, dropped his sweater in the sink while the water was running. He could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Nothing at all was right. Everything went wrong, right down to lima beans for supper and kissing on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a child's understanding of a terrible, terrible day. But we have terrible, horrible days all the time, even when we're adults, and even sometimes in our churches. What would a bad day or a bad
1: year look like for a church? Uh, This is only a 20-minute podcast. But (laughs) But just this last weekend, our church was volunteering with a community event, and everything just went wrong. Uh, We had asked all the right questions, and none of the electricity was there that they promised was going to be there, and uh, some of the people were trying to charge for the church being there, like people coming to the events that we were doing, and we'd already discussed that that wasn't going to happen, and it poured. So, that made it a very, uh, very difficult, frustrating character-building moment day for me, or maybe (laughs) character-revealing day for me. But, you know, we've also, in churches, there's been times where pastor is leaving, resigns. That's hard. It's particularly hard if it's over some sort of moral failing. It's hard when there is a beloved family that leaves the church. Uh, and and they're gone, and they they did a lot of the service in the church, and, and they've left. Mm-hmm. I I think for me though, probably the most painful thing is when there is a church split, yeah, and people leave the church, and it's and your leave friends each and other, yeah, it's yeah. your friends yeah. and family, and you never see them again. Yeah, that's heartbreaking.
2: I think I think I think that's really it's it's hard when there's if it's a smaller church and somebody with a lot of money who has supported the church moves away because then the church really struggles It's it's very difficult, like you said. If there's a split, if there's fighting in the church, no matter what it is, and uh, and there's just tension, and then there's gossip. Mm. My dad used to say, if you have a choir, you're three weeks away from closing the doors. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know, gossip can start bitter envy. The people, you know, we're just we're bad people. You know, who knows what can happen. That's my optimistic side. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it is very easy to be discouraged and to, um, and to throw up our hands. I think we see Jesus and his disciples having some terrible, very bad days here in the book of Mark. I mean, it started off great. In uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we read that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of god has come near repent and believe the good news that's great news start off on a high note and in chapter 3 verse 13 we read that he went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him he might send them out to preach so he announces the purpose of the gospel he calls his apostles to, uh, to come and uh, work with him, the building blocks of the church. And there came trouble aplenty. Boy, did they come. In fact, they come in stacks. It starts with, um, well, quite frankly, a satanic attack. Uh, Vicky, uh, read that for us in chapter 3, starting in verse 7.
2: Okay, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him. For they, he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Wherever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him.
3: So what's going on here? Do you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, Satan's strategy, Nathan? Does this ring a bell?
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's
3: trying to trying to distract, sending so many people to come wanting healing because of the actions of the evil spirits that uh, he would be kept away from his primary task, which was preaching the good news. Right. So it's a satanic attack to divert his ministry from what the best it could be to less than the best. (laughs) But cheer up, it gets even worse. So Mm -hmm. we have a really unsettling story about how his family treated him. Vicki, uh, outline that for us in verses 20 to 21.
2: Okay, well, let me read it. It says, Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Talk about celebrating your victories. Yeah, supporting your ministry.
3: He's starting his ministry, Satan attacks him and his family betrays him, right? right where where do you expect to have your most vocal supporters even when you do something wrong you always expect it is your your family your family's always there to back you up this is married right yeah. I mean this is a woman who knew to who know who ought to know yeah I mean I don't I don't know if I've ever heard this verse preached uh, and that's not how we think of her but in this case at this specific time that's how she felt and <laughs> the situation gets worse when you skip down starting at verse 31 and you see how this whole situation um, developed
2: oh stop for a second why, why do you think they said he is out of his mind for what i mean he, he was just trying to eat or he couldn't even eat just because there were crowds around him
3: well he was doing his ministry so as he is touching all these people doing stuff they're saying he is out of his mind he is out of his depth he should not be doing this
2: wow that's amazing
3: this is perhaps yeah.
1: the most discouraging thing i can imagine
2: yeah. I mean, no kidding.
1: Yeah, your own family saying, no, no, you, you shouldn't be doing this. This isn't the ministry. And I imagine, historically, they, even though Mary, she heard the proclamations about what he would do, this probably wasn't what she had in mind. Right.
2: It would be one thing if this were when he were driving people out of the temple or something like that. But to have him be healing people, you would think she would think, wow, that's cool.
3: And for your mother to say that, she's saying, I know about your character. I know about who you are as a person. And I don't think you should be in this ministry at all. I think this is totally wrong for you.
2: Mm. Yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy.
3: (laughs) And, and, And hear me well, Jesus understood what she was saying, because look at how he responded to her, starting in verse 31.
1: It says, then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Yikes. Wow. Wouldn't
3: that be an awkward situation to hear Jesus talk about his mother and brothers when
1: they're just outside the door?
2: Well, maybe he was out of his mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they send a runner. Yeah, he says, he says uh, we're his family now, I guess, right?
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: But that's wow. an
1: awkward situation.
3: They rejected him. Yeah. They rejected him in his ministry, and he turns around and does the same thing. I will not be deterred, even if it costs me this. Isn't that a very awful bad day? Yeah. And if you're the disciples and you're witnessing this, For crying out loud, not only do we have a satanic attack, we have a family betrayal. But you know, it gets worse.
2: Mm.
3: Look at what happens in verse
2: 22. It says, the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting it from everywhere. Yeah. And this is from the
3: the theological
1: scholarly community, right? So the seminary has put out a statement. That's right. And uh, condemning this teacher. And they're not saying he's
3: slightly in error. If only he could have another course, he'd come back on track. They said what?
2: He's possessed by the devil himself, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons.
3: His ministry is satanic. Yeah. And Jesus defends himself. He points out the obvious. When he says in verse 23 and 24, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. But mud still sticks. I mean, what he said is true. Clearly, he is not an agent of Satan. But he's been attacked. Another terrible, horrible day. No question.
1: Yeah, if I was the disciples, I'd be here, first of all, saying, wow, our most sacred religious people are saying that this man is satanic, am I involved in a satanic cult, right? Absolutely. And even if I came to the conclusion that, no, I'm not involved in a satanic cult, I'm like, okay, but I'm signing up to be hated by the people I used to call heroes. My heroes are going to think I'm the enemy.
3: Right. And if they say that you're the enemy, other people will believe you're the enemy. Right. Right. Of course. So we've been following this guy for like two or three days, like as if, were we really sure we should want to do this? At least that's what I'd be thinking if I was the disciples, the apostles at this point, but it gets worse. And um, chapter four, he goes on to tell him that well-known parable of the sower. So Jesus tells the story of a farmer who goes out with good seed and he goes to plant his crops, obviously. <laughs> and everything goes wrong the birds grab one, the soil is bad for two other instances. It finally takes root on the the third soil, the fourth opportunity. But it's interesting in this parable of the sower that what Jesus is saying about his own preaching ministry is that three out of four times, even Jesus preaching doesn't have a lasting impact on the listener.
2: Wow, that's interesting. Three out of four times, that's true.
3: Uh. <laughs> you no. Know, Some someone came to you, you know, we're in the midst of COVID and they're making vaccines. And if someone said, guess what? We've got a vaccine that fails 75% of the time. Would you take it? Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> say, no, I want a higher level. If you're following this guy and his emphasis is preaching, that's what he said, right? The yeah. emphasis, yeah. His, his expertise is preaching. And it was. But he's got a 75% failure rate for long-term impact. Wow.
2: If you're the disciples, are you having a good day? (laughs) (laughs) What do you call it? Terrible, awful, horrible, very bad day? (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's pretty astounding. God himself couldn't get people 75% of the time.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, he kind of points out the the fact the the reason for that is because people weren't listening properly. He says in verse 24 to to his audience, carefully consider what you hear. But the fact is, 75% of the time, people's lives were not substantially long-term changed. And if you're one of the disciples, you're facing satanic attack. Um, Jesus' own family betrayed him, said your leader was crazy. You've been a scholarly attack, and you've got Jesus saying, you're right, I'm not hiding it. Seventy-five percent of the time, there's not long-term change when I preach. So, Nathan, what do you do in your church when everything is going wrong and your people are discouraged?
1: What do you do? Uh, before or after the crying? <laughs> 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 the yelling, the screaming, the uh, frustrated cries to heaven? Well, I, you know, if, if you do see that, you trying to encourage them, right? You... Uh, Either focus on something that good that's happened, focus on uh, what God's doing. I mean, you give them you give them the uh, the locker room speech in between halves. Uh, sure. You, you give them a pep talk. You give them a pep talk. You lay out the vision.
3: I want you to remember why you got into this in the first place. Don't be distracted by all, right. all the problems. Let's keep our eye on the prize. Yeah, refocus on the gospel. Yeah. And he does that in chapter 4, verse 30. And it's a great talk. Vicki, can
2: you read that for us? You bet. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade.
3: That is a marvelous pep talk. The mustard seed was legendarily a tiny, tiny seed, one of the smallest seeds in existence. But I'm told that this small seed produces a mustard plant that can be 18 feet tall. Hmm. I mean, that's like a tree. So I don't know how big your garden is, but if I had a plant 18 feet tall, the branches would cover all of the garden. And that's Jesus' point. I want you to remember that this kingdom that I promised back in Mark chapter 1, that I would come and bring. It's going to have world domination.
1: That's pretty great. That's a great vision.
3: What's it missing?
1: Uh, How? Yeah. This is like 80% of a lot of the popular Christian books I'll read on things. Not all. There's some really good ones out there. (laughs) But, you know, oh, I want to read about evangelism, right? And so, the book is like, okay, evangelism is important. Okay, but how? I want ideas. How, how do we evangelize in the 21st century? Like, what's a what's a new strategy? Or, uh, oh man, preaching is so important. It's so so good. Okay, how? Give me the nuts and bolts, please. And and it's so frustrating. I, I I don't give me the what without the how, right? And and the disciples would have expected that because you know
3: some of them were professional fishermen, right? Some of them right. had multiple boats. They would have had to get loans. They'd have to pay salaries. They would have to have a business plan. For crying out loud, many of them were married. I don't know about you, but I couldn't get married unless I could give my father-in-law a plan. (laughs) So they would have expected a, um, a great plan. And instead, do you notice what he said in the verses just previous to that?
1: This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain.
3: So that's his plan. All by itself, it's going to happen. Doesn't that sound like a man without a plan?
1: Don't worry about it, it'll work itself out, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna tell you how, but you know, just don't worry. Everything's gonna be good.
1: Yeah, wishful thinking.
3: And so for men of the world like the apostles, that would be a bit hard to take, as was what happened that evening.
2: Let's read it. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat.
3: Have any of you been on a boat trip? Been on a boat
2: ride? Sure. Yep.
3: Yep. So
1: what time of day did you have your trip?
2: Daytime and evening.
1: Yeah, early morning or in the evening for a sunset cruise. But not at night. No. Why?
2: Can't see where you're going.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can hit stuff. You can't see weather change. As a rule of thumb, it is not wise to take a boat trip in the middle of the night. Correct? Yes. Right. Right. But they they take this boat trip. They do it because Jesus told them to, right? right? So it was Jesus' instruction, and they headed out on this boat trip.
2: How did that go? Just a furious squall came up. I like those words, that word, a furious squall and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped.
3: Um, Have you ever been in a boat that you thought was gonna sink?
2: I haven't, but I've almost drowned before and I know the panicky feeling that gives you. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yeah, I can recall not in a boat, but I remember we were driving out west with my family. I was probably in sixth grade like twelve or something, and all of a sudden the weather changed, and it, it, there there was like tornadoes breaking out, and my parents managed to get under an overpass, and there's all these cars crammed under there, and it was it was <laughs> horri- horrifying as uh, as the storm <laughs> passed over us.
3: So keep in mind that on this boat were professional fishermen; they knew their way around the boat. And they, following Jesus' instructions, got themselves in a situation they could not get themselves out of. Think how frustrating that would be. And by the way, I've done great research and discovered that uh, no Jews at this time had taken swimming lessons. (laughs) And there was no uh, lifeboat. There was no VHF radio to call for help. They were out in the storm in the middle of the night. None of them can swim. And they were one moment away in their minds of drowning. So how do you think the disciples would be thinking about Jesus at that point? On this terrible, horrible, no good day?
1: I would, if it was me, I would immediately, I wouldn't even be thinking about Jesus anymore. Like something in my brain would have switched. And I've been like, okay, he's, he's just a fraud. He's crazy. And mm-hmm. I would be like, I am so stupid for having followed this person. Like, I would immediately go to, like, self-blame and self-shame. Like, I can't believe you've been duped. How, how are you so stupid? You've wasted everything. And why, why were you doing this? What were you trying to find? Yeah, I, I would just be, like, hating on myself nonstop. I would have totally dismissed Jesus out of hand at this point. He doesn't even matter. I'm an idiot.
3: <laughs> and clearly, uh, they may have been doing self-loathing, but they were not pleased with Jesus. I think they felt betrayed. Yeah. In fact, we read in verse 38, how did they respond?
2: It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have to be kidding me. <laughs> and
2: they said to him, what? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> <laughs> you, th- you think they're at the end of the rope?
1: Yeah, yeah,
3: I think Yeah, don't they you are.
2: know? Don't How you can know? can you stay asleep through this? But
3: aren't there times when we all, our listeners and ourselves at times, that we feel similar to what the disciples have done? We've committed our life to Christ because we really believed him, right? We faced all kinds of obstacles as we have agreed to be part of his work in the world, to have his kingdom break out across this planet. In the midst of that, we face problem after problem after problem. And it seems like Jesus doesn't care. He's asleep at the back of the boat. And we can get frustrated we get angry. We can be discouraged in the midst of terrible, horrible, awful long days. But Jesus does something. We read in the text that he doesn't answer their question. Instead, he got up. Now picture in your mind's eye what this would be like midst of a storm the waves are bashing over the uh, the sides of that small boat they are hitting the hull harder and harder and harder and the people are wondering is this the wave that's going to smash the hull of this small boat is this the moment that we die Jesus stands up soaked with water his clothes sticking to his body as he starts walking towards the bow of the boat The disciples stay low and try to keep out of his way. They don't want the boat to capsize, moving around. And Jesus is up to his knees in water at this point. And he stands up at the front of the boat, puts his foot on the bow plate, looks out at that storm of the determination I don't think disciples had ever seen before. And he doesn't do anything but speak. And what does he say?
1: Quiet, be still and what happened and the wind died down and it was completely calm
3: oh so so it wasn't like there was a break in the storm right it's like instantly those waves collapsed and he did that he changed the storm he altered the meteorology of that region of the world how
1: through his word
3: just the power of his word Whoa! Now you'd think the disciples would be so happy. Now we're going to live. But what's their reaction? Oh, they were terrified.
2: <sighs> They're terrified. terrified. And what was their question? It says they were terrified. It reminds me of the shepherds when the angels came later on. They, yeah. no, before all this, they were terrified, and they ask each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
3: Now, notice, who is this? Did they forget his name?
2: Oh, no. (laughs) They weren't asking for clarification on who the guy was. They wanted to know positionally, who is this?
3: Yeah. They had seen Jesus' absolute power with just his word over all of creation. That sounds an awful lot like who? god Hmm. genesis 1. (laughs) how did he create with the power of just his word right look back how did they talk with how did they address jesus in the middle of the storm they called him what teacher they called him teacher and in that moment when they saw jesus act they realized this isn't just a teacher this is something else they were terrified because you're right vicky they saw him as he really was as God in the flesh. He is the one who stood over the eternal blackness and said, let there be light. He is the one that Paul spoke of as being firstborn over all creation and through him all things that were made were made through him. This isn't just a man. This is God in the flesh and he is with them and he is in their boat. Yes, there is opposition. Yes, there are setbacks in the ministry. Yes, there are discouraging times as we serve our Savior. And like the disciples, we might feel the times that Jesus has betrayed us. And then we need to hear Jesus' words that he spoke to his own disciples. Why in the world are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Not faith in yourself. Not faith in your plans, your skills, your education, or your resources. Faith in him because he alone is a creator God. We need to remember, as the disciples were learning in this story, even in the midst of terrible, rotten, awful, bad days, that when Jesus is with us, we will not fail. He he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Not because of us, but because of him with Jesus in our boat, we have all the resources we need to succeed in the ministry. He's called us to. That's why he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I will be with you to the end of the age when he is with us. And he is, we cannot fail because he has the power of God. He is God in the flesh. This does not mean that we will never have hard times in ministry and that everyone's ministry will always succeed. It does mean that his kingdom is coming and nothing can stop his will because God is with his church. He is with us. And the side we're on, the side of the kingdom, the side of our Lord, we're going to win. We can't lose because Jesus is with us. When he's in our boat, his kingdom has everything it needs to succeed. Be encouraged. God is with you, and he will never leave you
0: and never forsake you. How can we continue to minister during times of discouragement? By realizing that when we're with Jesus, his kingdom cannot fail. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more, or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.CrosstalkGlobal.org. You can also help this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the Gospel of Mark and learn what to do when we feel overwhelmed by the mission God has called every Christian to fulfill. Be sure to join us.